Hi everyone. Today I want to share some tools and insight on how to navigate through discouragement and fear. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time if you can hear uh, my space heater in the background because I'm sitting right in front of it because I have been freezing. It's been so cold here in um, sunny SoCal recently. So I apologize ahead of time if that's a distraction. Um, I'm going to start in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 where it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is a command. God is clear we are not to be discouraged or afraid. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely not been obedient to this command. How often do we let fear sink in and discouragement take root in our lives, honestly? This has got to be one of the hardest commands from God to follow. So I'm going to share how we can become more obedient to him in this area of our lives which is a work in progress for me. We all are or will be faced with troubles and situations where we'll become fearful and tempted with discouragement. I first want to explain what discouragement does in our hearts. This is really important to understand. When we allow discouragement to take root, we're in for a challenge, a challenge straight from the enemy because discouragement is the enemy of hope. And there is nothing more than the enemy wants, that the enemy wants than to leave us hopeless. Hopelessness leads to a whole other web of issues. It's prime breeding grounds for Satan to entangle us in all kinds of sinful thoughts, feelings, and eventually actions if we don't step away from it quickly. Fear. Fear is another web. Fear festers into chronic issues like anxiety, depression, and other illnesses, mental and physical. And fear is the enemy of trust. So there we have it. Satan's perfect scheme to rip us away from our trust and hope in the Lord. In Joshua 1.9, he says, Be strong and courageous. Think of someone we know from the scriptures who was weak, who allowed discouragement to overcome him and in the end of his life, was being chased by fear he couldn't escape. Judas, maybe? Judas was caught up in all kinds of sin in his mind. I'm sure you can think of people you've known, maybe even yourself, who've been down a dark path that weren't being strong and courageous in the Lord, but weak-minded and behaving cowardly. Always be mindful of the opposite of what comes from God. 
we find ourselves, we find our strength in him and the enemy wants to steal that away from us. He wants to steal our strength and make us weak. The opposite of strong. God gives us courage and the enemy wants us to cower, which is the opposite of courageous. This is where he has control. When we are not receiving from God what he's availably giving us and instead we fall prey to the lies of the enemy. And you'll notice it's enticing. Sometimes wallowing in our sorrow can be comforting, right? Sometimes being weak just feels easier and more comfortable than being strong And sometimes giving up feels like the only solution to be free of the pain and the suffering. Whatever that looks like for you. And this is exactly where Satan wants us. This is where we start developing limiting beliefs and believing his lies. This is where he has control to lead us into further sin and destruction. And it just keeps coming. Once you go down this rabbit hole, it's a long way out. We can get out of it though. And I'm going to share with you how to prevent from going down it, how to get out and stay out. We know this that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So as believers in Christ, we can be rest assured that as we ask, we will receive and be led into the truth that we need to guide us. Let's begin with Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word the scriptures, they can be found in many places, not even just the Bible. God's word and truth shows up everywhere. If you have your eyes open, it's pretty amazing. I'll share with you guys that when I'm feeling discouraged, which I have felt to the point of hopelessness in my life more than a few times, God's word is annoying to me. It's like, okay, great. I read this. I've heard that before. I've got it. I know it. Thanks. This isn't helping me. What else is there? Because clearly I'm not getting my answer. (laughs) And that's how I think in that moment. In those times I, I get, my heart begins to harden there a bit when I'm in that place. Something I've learned in this space is to open his word, even reluctantly. Opening a devotional, following a scriptural page on social media where you know you're going to see it pop up every day. Feed your mind with God's word, even in this place where you want to reject it. And then cry out. Yes, cry out. And don't stop crying out. Even if you can't pray, just cry out to God. Did you know our spirits are heard 
even in our groaning. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through worldless groans. Worldless groans. Free from all things worldly. That is powerful. That is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to take over in our grief, in our discouragement, in our hopelessness, and just intercede for us, understanding our groans. Nothing has to be put into words. Nothing has to be specified. We are carried in such a way that is beyond the world and beyond anything we can even consciously understand. Excuse me. So cry out, just cry out to our Heavenly Father and you will be heard. Surround yourself with his word even when you don't want to hear it or see it. Make yourself uncomfortable. At the first start of feeling discouragement or fear sinking in, one of the most important things you can do is to ground yourself. Ground yourself by connecting with God. Why is this so important? Because a lot of the time when we start feeling discouraged or fearful, it's a sign that we're not connected. Not connected with ourselves or with God. So we need to get back into connection with our temple, our bodies, and his spirit within us. There are many ways you can do this. You can do this through prayer. You can do this by connecting with someone, a friend, mentor, or family member who is strong in faith. You don't want to reach out to someone during this time who is not strong in their faith because that can set you into a further spiral. So keep that in mind. That's huge, actually. If you reach out to get grounded in connection with someone who's wavering in their faith or not consistent in their integrity with God, this can be very harmful. Connecting with someone who's strong in their faith and unwavering is what you need and can be very beneficial. It should be calming. It should bring clarity to your mind and help you to get grounded. Another way you can ground yourself is through prayer. Meditation, music, yoga, being outside in nature. One of the most helpful things for me is to walk outside barefoot just to feel the ground under my feet. I'll just walk out on the pavement in the grass and also laying out in the sun and finding a peaceful, quiet place to watch the sunset. Those are all things that help me get grounded. And God shows up in all of those places. He created the earth, the sky, the sun, music. It's beautiful all the ways we're able to connect with him that we don't even think of sometimes. And I'll go for a jog or a walk outside when it's cold 
without a jacket on just to feel the crispness of the air, just to feel his creation. I'll go sit in the ocean waves crashing up against the shore. It's just getting back in touch with yourself and God's creations, which are one. It's like bringing your oneness back into harmony with him. Now, what happens when you're stuck? And what I mean by stuck, I mean like in a deep pit where discouragement and fear have led you into depression or chronic anxiety where you're suffering from regular panic attacks and things like that. An imagery comes to mind of a scene from the movie. It's one of my favorites because there's just so much um, symbolism in this movie of heaven and earth and, and hell and God and just, just his sovereignty. And it's where Robin Williams' wife in the movie takes her own life after losing their children and ends up in hell. And then Chris, Robin Williams, ends up dying and Chris is her husband. Chris ends up dying, discovers his wife um, is not in heaven with him. He is then determined to find her and save her from the pit of hell. So he finds her and is warned by an angel that if he stays too long, he could end up lost with her in this hell for eternity. This woman is so lost in the depths of her darkness that she is actually looking at her home that she lived in on earth, but it's in, it's in her hell. And it's cold, it's dark, and it's falling apart. And she's so blind and deaf that she can't understand at all what is happening or where she is or why she's there. So she's filled with confusion, fear, and distrust. Because when her husband Chris enters the hell she's in with her to try and save her, she doesn't recognize or trust him at all. She doesn't trust anything around her. And you can see how she's so lost in this dark place that it's become almost comforting to her. Even though there's no comfort to be found in it, you could see that that was, that was like becoming her home and, or it had become her home. So I'm going to go off for a minute here onto something that's a little off topic, but it's relative. And, um, it reminds me of our current culture this scenario, um, this level of, uh, comfort to evil that we've, that we've come to know. So I want to talk about the election for a minute. What I've heard this election and others in the past is that people feel the need to vote for the lesser of two evils. I'm sorry, but 
when did we start coming into agreement with supporting any evil? I mean, just because we have a right to vote doesn't mean we should abuse that right to go and vote on anything that we find evil, even if it's lesser than another. Think about how distorted this is and gets worse. People shame those who choose not to vote as if they're doing a disservice to our country. No, no. Those who choose not to vote because they don't want to vote on any form of evil are not doing a disservice to our country. So now you have those voting on what they believe to be some form of evil and have succumbed to the ideology that so long as it's not that bad and actually believe there is a greater good for voting for a lesser evil and that we have a duty to vote for any such evil at all, and then shaming and guilting, even ridiculing those who choose to abstain from such a thing is just so frightening to me. So you see how the enemy works here. So those who think they are serving their country by casting a vote in one of the most divisive elections of our time, while also shaming those who choose not to, cause further division and end up playing right into the hands of the enemy. And we have become so comfortable and even prideful in this mindset that we are lost in a distortion Which leads me to this, sin begets sin. It's a vicious snowball that only grows. When you think about insanity, Satan is convinced that he's winning when he's already been conquered. And this is a fact. He is is winning in the souls of many who have and who are rejecting God. That is for sure. But those who truly belong to God can't be won over by his seductions. They can be tempted, even as Christ himself was. But he will have no victory in the end. So we get to choose who we belong to. There's no middle ground here. The word says, if you're a friend of the world... You're an enemy of God. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So let's go back to the movie scene of Chris's wife in the movie, Robin Williams, ends up getting discouraged by the state of his wife. He is pleading with her to help her see reality. He's painting a picture for her to see the truth, for her to let go 
of her worldly shame and guilt that carried her into this hell. That worldly shame that leads people to self-pity, it's unrighteous, it's evil, it doesn't produce any fruit, no change, no progress, no forward thinking. It's selfish and it's self-destructive. And no matter what he says to her, nothing is getting through. Nothing is sinking in. Ever felt like this with someone (laughs) who is so lost, they can't see or hear anything of truth? So then he ends up getting so discouraged, he slips into the seduction of hopelessness with her. This is where a lot of women go in abusive relationships or marriages. The abusive husband has been sinning against his wife and his marriage for so long that the believing, hopeful wife that's truly fighting for her husband's soul without even realizing it a lot of the time that that's what's going on ends up losing her own One of the most common statements of an abuse victim is, my soul feels dead. And that just breaks my heart. And that is something I can relate to having been there. Um, But that's exactly what is happening. You can indeed get lost in the sins of another if you allow it. This doesn't just happen in intimate relationships. It can happen in family relationships, friendships, and work relationships. The effects of abuse are so detrimental to the soul of a human. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Another excellent verse is Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. This is a soul issue You see the danger here in who you associate and make relationships with. We will learn each other's ways. This is why I was saying um, who you connect with, um, with a friend or mentor to get grounded. Make sure it's someone you know is walking right with God or you'll only bring more disconnect with yourself and the Holy Spirit, which will cause more confusion more fear, more anxiety, more sin. So when in this pit, if you're the one in it, like Robin Williams' wife in that movie, it's going to be really hard to pull yourself out. But it is possible. And who you surround yourself with is absolutely crucial if you're there. This means as you are striving to come out of that pit, you must develop boundaries that protect you 
from um, destructive people, from sinful thoughts and desires. So what you're exposing yourself to um, on the TV, even the music that you listen to, things you listen to on the radio, all those things are very important. Where you go hang out with friends, where you meet up, all of that. Understanding that not all of your thoughts you should believe, but that you should test and approve by God. This is where we ask God to come in and examine our hearts. Because when we are in this dark place, he's the only one who can truly reveal the sins of our heart that need to be dealt with. And as difficult as it is to experience joy in this space, you can know this and at least count it as joy as this verse explains, which I love because it's not saying feel joyous. It's saying we must count it as joy, as something to look forward to in reaping the rewards of coming out the other side in our faithfulness during such pain and agony. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right there, let steadfastness have its full effect. Meaning, sit in that uncomfortable space and allow yourself to feel the emotions of what you're going through. Whatever it is, past trauma, current trauma, living in an abusive environment, being alone, grief, all of it. You have to let God sit with you in this space. And I have been there, I can assure you, when you allow him in this space with you to feel every emotion, it enables you to release it, to gain clarity, and to receive a peace that surpasses all understanding. We all know that saying that we can choose what makes us bitter or makes us better. Bitterness breeds nothing but sin. So when we don't feel our emotions and we hold it in and we become, um, we, we develop this hardening, there is so much evil that, that comes from um, that hardening, which is, is bitterness. And the story of when Jesus asked the man who had been laying there blind and lame for 38 years, if he wants to get better, he says, Do you want to get well? This was a question. The man needed to be willing to receive healing. So we can't receive healing from God if we are bitter. If we allow our hearts to harden, we become bitter. We have to be willing. And um, even in our most fearful, discouraged places, I'm willing to receive 
healing that comes from God. Life is full of things that can leave us feeling discouraged and afraid. We will always have something um, that can that can tempt us with those with those things. But if we submit to lies of the enemy to bring us there, we will find ourselves faced with a mountain of sin and chaos awaiting, along with limiting beliefs about ourselves, others, and so much more. What I have learned is that there is no good that comes from getting discouraged or afraid. So feel your feelings. That's one of the most important factors to healing. Feel them. Don't even believe them. Don't um, allow them to make a home within you. Just feel them and don't let them stay with you. Feel the pain. Feel the agony. Feel the struggle. Feel the wrestling in your soul. And then release it. Let it go. Let it pass over you in the steadfastness of your faith, knowing we can count it all as joy in the victory of our sovereign Father. And just continue to keep yourself grounded, to keep yourself open to the word and the truth of God and continuous prayer and connection with him. And the last verse I'll share with you, which is one of my favorites, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, Anything that is virtuous or praiseworthy, think on these things.